Okay, tonight is Wednesday, April 21st, and our topic is spiritual warfare. This will be part one and at least a two-part message, and uh, the emphasis tonight is going to be on the foundation. So if you will turn to 1 Peter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. I want to read you something, and uh, this just kind of set the, the tone. It says, Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I get this and underlined it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Basically, the writer here, Peter, says, man, the prophets longed to see. They longed to know what you know. In fact, even the angels in heaven longed to look into this. Since that's the case, since they longed for this, didn't get it, and it was revealed to them that they were serving you. That being us, prepare your minds for action. In other words, this is not something to be taken lightly. Men that had a tougher walk with God than you do labored to get us the revelation that we have now. And we owe it to them to prepare our minds for action. And in doing so, he said you need to be self-controlled. Now, when we talk about self-controlled, Really, that word, it, it's not controlled by self. You know, yourself in you is your flesh. It's, it's the part of you that needs to die. It's somebody who controls that flesh. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He tells us to be holy and to put away evil desires. We owe a debt of responsibility to our spiritual forefathers to be self-controlled, holy, and prepared for action. When we talk about spiritual warfare, everybody's minds immediately tends to drift towards the casting out of a demon, uh, praying and seeing a stronghold broken down, uh, fighting with spiritual principalities. When the reality is where most spiritual warfare is won and lost is in your ability to control your flesh. James defines sin, and he tells you that it, it's basically when you have a thought it entices you, it drags you away, you commit the sin, and then it gives birth to death after repetition. Well, most people don't have demons come into their home, overpower them, and make them sin. It, though it, it, it could happen, not to, not to somebody who's sold out, but I mean, you, you read, and I don't endorse these books, but you read books by people like Rebecca Brown and some of the... People that have given themselves as slaves to obey demonic powers are controlled by demonic powers. 
We're not in that group, but what is almost, now what is equally sinful is when we who have been born again, who have been renewed, allow our old nature to control our actions. We owe a debt to prepare our minds, to get ready for action, to be self-controlled. That means God should not have to put the brakes on you. It means the Holy Spirit should not have to well up in you with such overwhelming force that you cannot sin. It means that you, because of your love for God, should set your will on God and control your flesh. Now, we're going to get into this a little more, but I want to start with my children because it's something that's easy to see. A lot of people may not like to hear this, and there's only a handful here, but when my son is having problems controlling his flesh, do you know what I do? I help him control his flesh because I'm a loving father. I remember seeing him become overwhelmed emotionally. And I say, stop crying. He said, but I can't. And some tears are helpful. Some tears are useful. I'm not talking about those. It was inappropriate. I said, you can and you will. And you know what? Because of his fear of his father, he did. Now, it's easy to see that in children, but somehow we think it's excusable as adults. Now, Matthew and I are the only ones in here that are husbands. And we only got one wife back here. So, not, not that the two of us share a wife, but you understand what I'm saying. It's a shame that this is to a handful, but if this handful gets it, then praise God. Here's the thing. A husband has a responsibility to help his wife, who is called the weaker vessel, control her emotions. Now, that is not something anybody wants to hear. And it could even be offensive. Here's the good news is. Your husband should not have to step in and help you if you're maturing in the faith. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, we're getting re- reaction from the... The good news is we're growing right now. Uh, as people come in, we're growing. Uh, just to cover that, that point so this will make sense to you all. We have a responsibility to control our own emotions. We have a... Responsibility to control our own desires in us. Absent of our ability to do that, we need a higher authority to help us do it. It's most evident that you see that in children. When children can't control it, the parent steps in to help. Well, like it or not, it's not me saying it, it's Corinthians that says it, it's Ephesians that says it, uh, Paul mentions it to Timothy, it's in quite a few places. The order of progression and the flow of authority in a home is the Father God who has granted all authority to the Son, Jesus, who in turn has entrusted His church with authority. Well, in a home, it is the husband followed by the wife, followed by the children. So nobody seems to have a problem with, with the adults helping a child control their emotions. But everybody gets their feelings hurt and everybody gets ruffled at the thought of a husband helping a wife control her emotions. But I can tell you something. In my life, I've experienced this and it works well. There are times when my wife buckles under pressure. There are times when I do too. But the difference is she's my responsibility. I'm not her responsibility. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not suggesting that this is pleasant and you know, you have a tendency that, oh, he's talking to me. Well, yeah, I am. There's only y'all here. <laughs> Women, you need to start to see. And when I'm saying husbands and wives here, 
Mandy, this relates to you in the church, and I've done this in your life. You know, these are those times when I say, hey, Mandy, stop it. Stop it. That's not right. It is to your credit. The Bible says only a fool spurns correction. It is to your credit when a husband or anyone who is in a higher position of authority in the kingdom helps you and you receive it. And he said, but what if they're wrong? Well, then you receive it like a good soldier of Jesus Christ anyway, and you take it to be edifying. We'll move on from there. The, the thing is, when you think of spiritual warfare, you always think of these outside forces. Spiritual warfare starts with you controlling your flesh. And there's some real key reasons why that we're going to get into. The foundation, the bottom line is, you may have the authority to cast out a demon, but you cannot cast out your own sin nature. So if you don't learn to control your sin nature, it doesn't matter how many demons you can cast out. See, an infant in Christ can look at a demon and tell it to be gone. You know, for some reason in the charismatic world, this is lifted up as, uh, oh, wow, so-and-so, he's a great spiritual warrior. The great spiritual warrior is the one that can control his tongue, the one that can take captive his thoughts. You know what else? Everything after that flows naturally. If you can control your flesh, you don't have any problem defeating the enemy. I'll show you this pattern in Scripture, and then we'll, we'll recap this quite a few times tonight. So if you not quite understanding what I'm going with it, you will. Yeah, interject. Anything you like. The literal translation from the Greek in 1 Peter 1.13. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the NIV it says, prepare your minds for action. Uh, this says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Yeah. In, in other words, you're preparing your mind for action. It is like building a wall or training or doing preparatory work for you to be able to withstand the onslaught of the enemy and advance. You know what he would say if he were in slang America? He would say, prepare yourself to get it on with the enemy. You're fixing to fight. And that battle does not occur in the flesh. It starts in the mind. It works its way through the spirit. Yeah, when I say get it on, I mean fight. Okay. <laughs> Y'all are bad. Okay. We owe a debt of responsibility to our spiritual forefathers to be self-controlled, holy, and prepared for action. They paid a great price. Their whole lives were serving you to get you this message. Now that you've gotten it, you squander it if you don't do those things. Turn to James 3, and, uh, which should be just to your left. Yeah. Be sober. Is, here's some themes you're going to hear over and over. Self-control is the word I chose to, to key in on. Another word is temperate. Another one is sober-minded. All of these speak about the same exact thing. It's have your wits about you. Act like God would have you to act. And when you feel that you're not, you correct yourself. If you do not or you cannot correct yourself, accept correction from the higher authority in your life. And here's, here's the thing, ladies, and this is hard. Jesus is not often here in the flesh to correct me. So you don't get to see that. But I am here in the flesh to correct my wife. It's harder and it's easier. It's easier because there's somebody right here. It's not an inward witness. 
And, and it's harder because she sees all the flaws and all of those things, too. That's beside the point. It is my responsibility as the priestly leader in my home to provide spiritual direction for my home. No woman has the right to usurp that from her husband. Just don't. It's not your God-given place of burden or authority. Doesn't mean that you don't have great input. Doesn't a wise husband listens to his wife? We're going to get on the men too, which would be preaching straight to me and Matthew looks like, and we'll give David the tape and everybody else. But what we're going to find out is that when Proverbs says, you know, to live with a quarreling wife is like uh, being on the corner of a roof and the dripping faucet. That's just that's the very beginning. The real problem is. You're ineffective in your ability to combat the enemy as long as there's disharmony in your home. And like it or not, the way to bring harmony is for the children to submit to the wife, the wife to submit to the husband, the husband to submit to God. And every other person can point and say, but they're not. It has to start with somebody, and it needs to start with you, whoever you may be. Does that make sense? So if we're going to talk about how to combat the enemy. We're going to first talk about how to control ourself. That's what you can control. Wives, you can't control your husband. Though the scripture does say you need to win him over with your deeds. Now get this, and I'm speaking to those Nagleites out there, you know, those Hagars that nag their husbands. It says without words. See, because women tend to lack strength, you can't hold your husband down and beat something into him. What most women tend to do is persistently nag away. At the husband, like they're pecking away at a rock. And what it tends to produce in a husband is a passive aggressive response. Puts up with it, puts up with it, puts up with it, explodes. It's ungodly, it's a fit of rage to explode. And it was ungodly to provoke somebody to that. Now, I'm not speaking about this as somebody who doesn't know. Jennifer and I sure do not yet have a perfect marriage, it is being perfected. I can say confidently that over the last 11 years, we have made serious progress. And something that Jesus spoke to me recently, and all I can tell you is Jesus spoke this to me. So you can receive it, not receive it. But Jesus spoke to me and said, do not be shy about being an example to the church in your marriage. In other words, I might tend to say, well, you know, that's just the way we do it. Jesus made us an example. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. I hope you learn as much from what we do wrong as what we do right. But there is something worth examining about our lives because it works. It's working. Uh, don't always dismiss everything as, well, that's just Eric or that's just Jennifer. Think about it. Think about how it can work in your life and what the Scripture says about it. Does that make sense to you all? That's not an easy thing for me to say, but I needed to. James 3, starting in verse 13. Self-controlled, holy, prepared for action means that we are living as a wise person. Envy and selfish ambition cause disorder and every evil practice. We're going to see this in James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Selfish ambition is earthly, 
unspiritual and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate. Here's that bad word. Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. All of us want to raise a harvest of righteousness. That is what we are contending with the enemy for. You need to put away envy and selfish ambition. You know what envy and selfish ambition are? That's not the uh, I want to be president of the United States. It's nothing so outward as that. Envy and selfish ambition are I don't have to do what they say. You know? Listen to this in Miriam and Aaron. Hasn't God spoken through us as well? That's when somebody who is in authority under someone else goes, well, I hear from God too. You know, why do I always have to listen to him? You know, that is selfish ambition. And what happens is it will produce in you every other evil kind of desire. It produces disorder. Here's the absolute truth of it. It is rebellion which has the same effect as witchcraft. You need to be very... And now, if us men, we guys, however you say that, take this message and use it to lord authority over someone, then we're guilty of what Jesus said in Matthew 23, and it's wrong, and we're going to get to the Scriptures in Peter that address how a man is to deal with a woman. But have you ever noticed that arguments tend to occur on the way to church? Uh... Right before some big ministry event, the people you're closest to are on your nerves and fights break out. I was going to dinner with Gary and Rhonda the other night and Jennifer and I got in a fight on the way. Now, the bad news is we were ugly to one another. The good news is we realized before we got to Gary and Rhonda's that it was just the devil. And we have learned to dissipate hard feelings with humor. You know, and I won't tell you exactly how that works, but I kind of poked her. Uh, like you might tickle somebody. She laughed. And I said, you know, this is the devil. And she said, yeah, it is. And we it fell off like charred flax. Right then you could feel God's presence. You know, the devil was trying to distract us so that we could not do God's will. There was another incident a long time ago to somebody that was not married that had an issue in their life that God was working on and it's funny because the episode, this struggle, would, would precede acts where they could be used in ministry. You know, one, we're praying for our neighbors across the street. One night when God would have used a person in our Bible study to be a part of that because of, of a quarrel in their life, a struggle that they were having, they felt unworthy and couldn't go. See, the devil tries to cause your self to rise... You give way to your emotions and those things to make you ineffective in ministry. And I'm not just talking about ministers. I'm talking about Christians in ministry. We have to realize that and do whatever it takes to restrain the flesh. That's not our normal uh, thought process. Our normal thought process is we do whatever it takes to justify the way that we feel. Well, he said this and she said that. And do you think they were right? And We do whatever we can to justify ourselves when the word goes the exact opposite way. 
Be temperate, self-controlled, peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Jesus had all the authority in the world. And he was a submissive human being. Nothing proud, nothing haughty, nothing argumentative about him. He spoke the words of the Father. Most of the time when your toes are stepped on, it's because you're not dead to self. Most of the time when your feelings are hurt about something, it is because you are not dead to self. When you get to 1 Peter 3, which is where we're going, we're going to see what motivates most of the arguments that husbands and wives have. This ought to be encouraging for you wives and ought to be enlightening for us husbands. We owe a debt of responsibility to our spiritual forefathers to be self-controlled, holy, and prepared for action. By being self-controlled, holy, and prepared for action, it means that we live as wise people. Envy, selfish ambition cause disorder and every evil practice. Y'all in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, get this. What is the first thing you would think that applies to? A saved wife and an unbelieving husband, right? But is that not also applicable to any situation that a husband and wife might quarrel about? For instance, Jennifer believes that the Word says we should do thus and so. I believe that the Word says we should do something else. But without words, without her taking me to task in an all-out argument and quarrel, she can change my mind by her deeds. Does that make sense? That's just the opposite of what you would normally do, though, isn't it? We're going to argue until we win. And there's a few of you out here I can relate to. Don't lose arguments very, very often. You know? I have this amazing ability to always be right, even when I'm wrong. I really have to be careful. I have a spouse that is willing to let me be right. That's not always good for me. As she has grown in the Lord... She is learning the fine line between uh, healthy dissent that is not disloyalty. It's just dissent. Eric, I'm not sure that's right. And nagging an argument. She still pushes me too far. I still push her too far. There are times that I am oppressive rather than supportive. And there are times that she's rebellious rather than submissive. But it is getting continually better as we learn to control self. It's easiest if we relate these things to kids because you know your relationship to the kids. The relationship between husbands and wives is much harder. There are times as a husband, though, that I would change places in a minute because you do not shoulder the responsibility of being accountable for somebody else's life that you cannot control. The most helpless... And and ladies, please understand this. My wife's not in here. The most helpless I have ever felt as a human being, period, is to be responsible for my wife, be arguing, fighting, discord in the home, and it always occurs with other circumstances feeding it, financial strife, children on the way, a little disconnected from fellowship. 
I felt like I had been given this wife that I loved, but that did not seem to be showing any respect for me. And there was nothing I could do about it. That's the closest to feeling like I was going to have a heart attack that I've ever had in my life. And the devil will work to get you in that position. Wives, you can exasperate your husbands by just refusing to submit. By continually chipping away. You can make your husbands second guess every decision. You can destroy their self-confidence by continually pointing out what you don't think they do right or the way that it should have been done differently or any of this. And the feeling is it would be like this. If you did not have the ability to discipline your kids, if that was not allowed, but you were responsible for their every behavior. Can you imagine that? If I could not spank Gabriel, I could not even fuss at Gabriel. But anything Gabriel did wrong was charged to my account. What a helpless, overwhelming feeling that could be. Now make Gabriel as articulate as you, maybe more articulate than you, as smart as you, and an adult with a checkbook and a car and keys that can leave when they get mad. That can, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Sympathize with both positions. Now, husbands, we have got to consider that it's a tough pill for anybody to submit to somebody else's will. And when we are dogmatic and overbearing, about something and just have this, well, submit to me attitude. That's not the way Jesus got us to submit. He loved us. He showed us a more excellent way. He doesn't have our obedience just because we fear him, though that's part of it. He has our obedience because he served us into a way where we will do that. That's every husband's long-term goal. Everyone that understands this. Let me read it and then we'll get back there. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. You know, I have known that Jennifer was right about something after the fact because of the fruit that it produced in her versus me. You know, you ever won an argument and then you're laying there later and the conviction sets in on you? It, it, it doesn't have to be that somebody else corrects you in the word. It's that their lives begin to show you're the one without peace. You were the one that was wrong. And women, Jesus can be your most powerful ally in that regard if you don't fight your battles. If you can learn to allow Jesus to fight your battle for you, if when you feel like you're being wronged or you're having to submit to something that you shouldn't, if you get on your knees instead of on the phone... If you talk to Jesus instead of to mom, if you talk to Jesus instead of the next door neighbor, he will come through for you. The model for that is Moses. When Miriam and Aaron attacked him, he didn't defend himself. Because of that, God defended him. Understand something. Eve sinned before Adam sinned. It is not possible to read the New Testament and come away with any other understanding, though people have tried. Eve sinned, Adam joined her in the sin. Who did God go to? Adam. He went to Adam first. Your husband is responsible for your behavior. And he's not, it's not possible for him to control it. All he can do is love you into submission. The more you resist that, the more you'll find yourself alienated from God. The same way that if the husband resists Submitting to the Holy Spirit, he'll find himself alienated from God. We're going to get into that more in just a minute. 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is of great worth in God's sight. I used to have, and I'm telling on myself, okay, and I'm willing to do that. I'm doing that for your benefit. Jennifer and I would be engaged in conversation that would go further than it should. And it did not come out of my mouth. But I, I want to be very honest. There's a worldly term for a female dog that would come to my mind. You, and I could put the brakes on it, but it was there. Now, I have a responsibility to cast that down. But you know what else? The fact that I'm being provoked to want to say that means that we were not in a gentle and quiet spirit. A Christian woman should never be described in the way that worldly women are excited about being described. You ever heard somebody, you seen the bumper sticker on the cars? Super B-I-T-C-H? You know, that ought never be something that should be said about you. Your power, your beauty in God's sight comes from the fact that you are gentle and quiet and that God fights your battles for you. See, you, every time you lay into, every time you stand your ground and fight, you're keeping God from doing the work. Every time a husband tries to force his will upon a wife, he's keeping God from giving her a revelation that she can submit to. See, nothing in the kingdom works by force. The only one we ever have force towards is the enemy that resists us. When we show force towards each other, then the body of Christ is dividing itself. Now, I keep saying husbands and wives. Mandy, this is true of any spiritual authority. And it will be, you know, the biggest adjustment you'll have one day in your life is that this guy that you love with all of your heart, you will feel like you can't live with. You know, we've all been there. I mean, and we know the basics. Don't let divorce come out of your mouth. Don't let... We're going to get to something here that is important. The truth is, each one of us has egos that are insecure and riddled with flaws. And if you can learn to interpret some of the things that your spouse says as insecurity, you're less likely to want to attack it. Here's what I mean by that. For in this way, the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. In what way might Sarah have fear? Think about this. I found this today, and it, it, to me it's a, re excuse me, a revelation. If you're honest, what is it that is hard about not standing your ground, arguing, about controlling your emotions, being quiet, sweet, and allowing God to fight your battle for you? What is it that produces fear in you about that? You might not get your way. You are fearful that if you act godly, if you do what the Word says, somebody's going to take advantage of you. I've met husbands. In fact, Preston used to preach on it. He was concerned that if he served his wife by doing the dishes and helping her, setting an example in the house of cleaning, he was concerned if he did that, that she, because of his gentle nature in Christ, 
would take advantage of it and it would simply become his duty. Those kind of fears, fear promotes in you a reaction that is not God. It's the opposite of faith. When you have a fear that you won't be treated well and your reaction to that is, well, I'll stand up for myself, that's not controlling self. That is setting aside the grace and glory of God, putting you back on the throne of your life to handle a situation. What we're going to get into in the next message is literally what that is, is you are King David. There's a battle coming and you've just taken a census of your own army. Well, what's within my ability to change about this? I know. I'll tell him, I give him a piece of my mind. As opposed to not counting your army, not taking a census of your abilities and saying, you know what? I'm not sure this is right, but I'm going to show love. I'm going to pray and believe that this difference between us, God will show where his favor is. And then allowing him to do it. What you try to do for yourself, God will not do. You've heard God only helps those that help themselves. That is not true about marital relations. (laughs) You know, uh, God helps the spouse that is not fighting for themselves. You want to find yourself in disfavor with God, abuse your spouse, husband or wife. You know, and the same person you say you love, do you say harsher words to than you would any other human being on the planet? That's very important because what we're moving into next, right after we cover some things for the husband to learn, is ministry flows from your home. The reason we're covering this tonight is to be powerful in spiritual warfare, your home has got to be squared away. You know who taught me that? Who taught me a lot about spiritual warfare, mostly on the receiving end? The biggest trial that I ever had, it was Russ Gotro. He didn't even know what he was saying, I don't think. But it made an impression. God can use the most unwholesome experiences to further your walk. That's true in your marriage. It's true in everything. A couple that prays together stays together. Don't argue. Do not argue. Instead, pray about it. If, husband, you're convinced that you have a wife that will not submit, that is being rebellious, grab her hands and pray. Refuse to fight. If, wife, you have a husband you think that is trying to ramrod his will and not God's will down your throat, grab his hands and pray. Submit to one another out of love and allow God to show where his favor is. It's the hardest thing on the planet to do. And it is the least done in the kingdom. Great men of God who stand up and preach with all kind of power lose the battle in their homes. Friends, that's why pastor's kids are hellions. They see it. Have you ever wondered why kids that grow up around this don't live it? They don't walk it? That's why. Ministry flows from your home. If it's not right at home, it doesn't matter how anointed it seems everywhere else. There is no power in it. It's just persuasive speech. It's hardest on the gifted. I'll be honest. I've been able to preach since I was born again. I mean, that gifting is in me. Matthew's gifted to be a worship leader. That's in him. It's hardest on us because people will mistake that gifting for God's approval and anointing and favor. It's not. The fact that I can stand up and preach does not mean God is pleased with what's going on in my house. It doesn't mean that His power is upon me. You want breakthrough in your prayer? You want to see success against the enemy? Let there be unity in your home first. You know what? I... I, I, 
in the early days when I was first married, I would go out to save the world. You know, half the time I was dragging these guys in high school with me. I left my wife at home. I totally neglected her. And I learned a lot through that. It was wrong. I didn't know it was wrong. My, my heart was right. Her heart was right. She was willing to sacrifice that the kingdom would advance. Almost every time when I came back, the devil had had a field day in my own home. I came back to a wife that was insecure, that was upset, that had had bad dreams, that was ill-prepared for the spiritual warfare that occurred while I was gone. And arguments would ensue. And I would think, why can't she just be more spiritual? And she would think, why didn't he show me more love? And I'll be real honest, when I was in the world, Jennifer was somewhat fearful of me. I mean, I, I'm not, I never beat her. That's not what I'm saying. But she was scared of losing me. She was scared of those kind of things. Because I was gentle in the kingdom and because I loved Jesus and there was no threat of me leaving, I felt like she abused that. I'm sure she felt the same way. And it has taken us years to even begin to learn to submit to one another out of love. We need to quit trying to manipulate our spouses. We need to quit allowing our emotions to control our actions and our circumstances to dictate our emotions. We need to learn to control self, be led of the Spirit so that we can fight and take it to the enemy. Now I know, I know if I have a powerful temptation, if I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden a thought about a billboard is fighting in my mind, I'm struggling to cast it down, or if I am really angry with somebody at work, or I know that something's going on in somebody's life who's going to need me in the next 24 hours. I know it. It's a preemptive strike to see if self can rise up in me, if sin can well up in me, so that I will be ineffective as a minister. See, spiritual warfare is not always won on the knees like we've been taught. It starts with your ability to control yourself first. Because the truth is, what we're going to read in the next few lines is, your prayer is ineffective if you haven't been self-controlled. The angels are not going to listen to your command if there is no harmony and no flow of authority in your own house. Peter says it. Is this a hard word? It is kind of, isn't it? It's edifying if we do it. If you do what is right and do not give way to fear, don't let fear motivate you. The thought that, well, if I don't stick up for myself, he'll just... Husbands, don't let the fear of, well, if I love her like Christ, then she's going to take it. Don't let that fear rule you. Do what the Word says and allow faith to overcome fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Without breaking this down too much, why would you have to be considerate? A husband needs to consider in the way that he speaks with his wife. Could I submit to somebody if they talk to me that way? Would I be willing to lay aside my will and follow that if it was presented in that way? And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Husbands always must realize this is not an excuse for women to be the weaker partner. But the Bible says you are. 
So husbands have to give you a little more grace than they would give themselves. I, I, I don't necessarily like that. <laughs> I think that if I handle something a certain way, that everybody, not just Jennifer, all of you, everybody should be able to handle it that way. That is not right in the kingdom. You will find out it's not just your wife. There are many weaker vessels. You know? Cassidy may be Matt's weaker vessel. And Mandy might be Cassidy's weaker vessel. It flows. There are people of varying degrees of faith. And we need to be considerate. And we need to understand that. And when somebody is weaker in the faith, what are you supposed to do? Lord that over them? Oh, well, your faith is small. Mine's big. No. What you do when somebody's weaker in the faith is you serve them. You go out of your way not to put stumbling blocks in their way. Husbands, if you know your wife can't receive something said a certain way, find a better way to say it. You know, if it's not words at all, if you just need to lead by example, then do it. Make it easy for them to submit to you as you submit to Jesus. Paul told us to follow him as he followed Christ. Well, in the home, wives are supposed to follow Jesus as they follow their husbands. Children are supposed to follow their parents as their parents follow Jesus. That's how it works. And it's become a social taboo to even discuss that. Like there's something wrong with it. When you Have you ever been put on a budget? I know I have. Uh, I've delegated that authority to my wife, and I live within that realm of her authority. That might upset some men out there that hear that. I don't care. She's good at it. So we designed it together. We agreed to it. And I check in with her to ask her where we are in regard to it. The decisions are ultimately mine, but I lay that aside because... She's at home. She can look on the computer. She knows what cleared yesterday. All of those things. A budget is freeing. It's freeing because you know right where the limits are. So you can spend everything you want to up to that limit. It's freeing. Well, in the same way, when you understand your relationships, where your authority begins and stops, it's not confining to submit. It's totally freeing. Because you say, oh, I need to do this, I have this and all, and I don't need to worry about that. That's not a level of my responsibility. Mandy, you and I have talked a lot at work about learning how to use a supervisor's responsibility to accomplish things. There are some things that as an employee just aren't your responsibility. Don't do them. The supervisor should have to. It's what they get paid for. Well... In a home, there's something children shouldn't have to worry about. Their authority stops at a certain level and the parents picks up. Well, wives, there are some things in the home that just are not your responsibility. That's where it stops for you and starts with your husband. Unfortunately, it's all the husband's responsibility. Sometimes we do good with it and sometimes we don't. And we bear the direct reproach or reward from God for it. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, here's the other part. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. He said, be considerate. He said, treat them with respect, knowing they're the weaker part. And get this. At the same time, he says, you need to be considerate and understand that they're the weaker vessel. What else does he say? And treat them as heirs of life with you. You, you girls may be the weaker vessel, but you also are absolute equal in the kingdom. See, the fact that you were not built to handle the same level of authority as a man does not make you any less in the kingdom. It means that your role 
is different in the kingdom. And so a husband has to treat you as an equal in the kingdom. It may be the husband's job to hear from God for the direction of the family. But he doesn't hear from God any better than the wife does. Because you are both heirs in the kingdom. But you know what? Since it's his responsibility, you better pray that he hears from God. (laughs) Does that make sense? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. If arguments between husbands and wives hinder prayer, what do you think the biggest attack on the church is? I guarantee you that's where it starts. And let's, let's just be honest. You're on your way to church. You and your wife have a knockdown drag out. You may not say the nasty things, but the nasty things are going through your mind. Then you get there, and there's an altar call right away. Are you going to be the one that hears from God, goes up and stands and gets somebody out of a wheelchair? No, you're still trying to figure out how to get out of the quarrel that you were just in. This, to some extent, why Paul said it's better that you be as I am. You know, he didn't have that to worry about. He only had to please him and Jesus. That's not what we were called to. We were called to something that is harder in that respect than what Paul was called to. We have to learn how to please our spouses and Jesus. The angels do not respect disunity and discord. We're going to find out that discord is a work of the flesh in the same way that witchcraft or adultery or an orgy is. Do you know what discord is? Discord is if Matt takes his guitar and he turns it a little bit out of tune and plays it. Discord is when something's not in harmony. In your home, have you allowed yourself to cause discord? Self's desires? If you are, you are hindering your walk with God. You remember the fear thing? A lot of, a lot of spouses live with this. I know my wife did. I'm holding my husband back in his colon. Everybody thinks he's spiritual and I'm not. I have a love for the Word that my wife doesn't have. She loves the Word, but not her. she's not a studious in the Word like I am. It's okay. She has gifting I don't have. If people compare us to one another, they're as guilty of sin as two ministries that compare themselves or any other two Christians. Of course we are totally different. That's why God matched us together, because we can accomplish things like that. There is no such thing is one spouse holding another back. That's a fear that the devil plays on, because here's the reality. There's no such thing as two people. You are now one life. You have to learn to submit to one another in love. Now, when one refuses to submit to the other, that hinders both of you. But one's not holding the other back. You are one. The idea that you think of yourself separately is something that's wrong. (laughs) you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Be self-controlled, holy, prepared for action, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy so that you will be pleasing to God. This starts in your home. Don't give way to fear. Control self and be considerate. Otherwise, your prayer is hindered. The biggest hindrance in spiritual warfare is not oppression. It's our propensity to love self which hinders prayer Negates us of the power of God. In 1 Peter 4, 7, listen to this one-liner. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 
He said the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. You cannot begin spiritual warfare if you cannot control self. You cannot begin spiritual warfare if you can't clear your mind of the discord that is going on in your own home, much less your workplace, much less your relationships with other brothers and sisters and family and all of those things. It starts in your home and then works in concentric rings out of that. If somebody's going to rupture a disc in their back, Mandy, those angular walls start to break down. Do they break down from the outside in? They break down from the inside out, don't they? That's how it ruptures. A house breaks down the same way. When a husband and wife can't get along, pretty soon it bleeds over into husband's going to work pissed, the wife's going to the laundromat or to see the, the sisters in the church, wherever it is, upset. It begins to affect relationships outside of, and it continually works until discord is what flows from the home instead of the peace and the love and the gentleness and the respect. And what happens usually is one of the two spouses, if not both, give up. Well, he's never happy with the house anyway, so why should I clean it? He hadn't said a good thing about the way that I look in years, so why should I fix my hair? Or, you know, the husband could say many of the very same things. You know, I mean, that works both ways. And that's when you see people resigning to live with the other one, but not interacting and loving the other one, not being the ministry team that you were called to be. A lot of wives develop this attitude, and husbands do too. I, I thinking of two couples right now where, oh, well, that's his calling. You know, he goes off and he does that. You know, that's him. There's no such thing as his calling and her calling. It is your calling, period. End of story. And if the wife is the musician and the gifted one and the preacher and all those things, it's still his calling. It's, it is your calling together. It, do, it doesn't matter which one seems to be more prominent. It's your calling. Have you ever seen the wife that prophesies, that is encouraged in the word, all of those things, and the husband sits there silently, never says a word, intimidated as all get out, and the wife is the head? Nothing wrong with her having great revelation. Nothing, And maybe it has nothing to do with her. Maybe it's not her fault. Maybe he just will not stand up and be the head. But it never lasts. You know, there's a couple on my mind right now that I saw that way for years at a church I used to go to. When I was gone, they got divorced. It never lasts. You cannot resign yourself to live separate lives and be uh, effective for the kingdom. You participate in the singular calling that is on both of your lives. He doesn't have a calling and you a calling. You'll have a calling together. It's just multifaceted. But it is your calling together. Don't think of it as, I know Mandy is going to write books. I know that. One day when she's married, that doesn't mean that's her calling and her husband has a separate calling. That is a calling they join in together on some level. It has to be because God has called a husband and a wife one flesh. You can't be any more separated than the body of Christ can from Christ have to have the same spirit uniting you. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, Be clear-minded so that you can pray and self-controlled. Self-controlled in every scripture that I've read tonight. Now, James 4, 7 and Peter 5, 9, those are scriptures you're familiar with. They say, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Both of those scriptures say essentially the same thing. Both speak of resisting the devil and him fleeing, right? 
Here's something, though. That's James 4, means there were three chapters before it. That is 1 Peter 5, meaning there were four chapters before it. Do you know what the emphasis of those chapters before it is in both cases? Everything we read just came from the chapters before that. Be self-controlled. Love peace. Be clear-minded. Put away selfish desires. You cannot begin to resist the devil. You cannot begin to make an effective stand for God until you've submitted to him. You are not submitting to God that you cannot see if you're not submitting to the authorities in your life that you can see. It, it, It just does not work that way. One of the... Uh, it's not an oxymoron per se, but you understand what I, I mean. Something that just cannot be is, uh, well, I'm not listening to him. I think he's crazy. But I heard from God to do. That's, that is not possible. It, it's not. That, that would be like your right hand hearing from God and your left hand disagreeing with it. You are the same human being in God's eyes. The two have become one flesh. You hear, from, you hear with your ears, it goes somewhere through your mind, and that message gets translated to the rest of your body. A husband and a wife should hear, and that message go all the way through the body, but the head is the one that's responsible for it. You, you, you cannot be in discord with one another and be in unity with God. Now, can Jennifer hear from God and I didn't hear it? Absolutely. And if I'm a wise husband, I'll listen. But we cannot hear from God in two totally different directions. And if that's happened, we need to submit to one another out of love. Let God show where his approval lies. And you know what? In the absence of any other direction, you choose the husband's direction because he's responsible. And that doesn't mean that the wife's sitting back there waiting going, "Uh uh-huh, he chose that and he's going to fail. He's going to fall. Come on, be serious about this. It affects your life too. You better hope he was right. And if he wasn't, be gracious to him. So that maybe you'll get it right next time. You know, I, I, saw, I bought a computer one time. Jennifer said, I don't believe that's God. I said, oh, yeah, it's God. Truthfully, it was my flesh. I thought it was God, but it was my flesh. I, I've been prone to make that mistake before. She said, Eric, I don't believe it's God. I said, sweetheart, I can respect that. And you may be right. I feel like I have to do it. Would you support me in it? It was hard for her. I knew it was. But she said, Yes. I found myself a few months later going back saying, you're probably right. I don't think that was God. To her credit in that case, she did not nag me week in and week out about it. If she had, I probably would not have had the strength to go back and tell her she was right and I would not have learned from it. But in that case, now when my wife says she's pretty sure she heard from God, would I please consider it again? Now I do. I mean... I take that very, if Jennifer has a concern, here recently she voiced a concern about the way I had communicated some things. That's something that I take every bit as seriously as anything else in my life because I've learned to trust that. That comes over time out of submitting to one another. It never works that way from the beginning. Marriage is the hardest thing on earth because you are taking two independent wills and trying to merge them into one. And you both have sinful natures. And you both resent your roles. Your sinful nature resents your role. That's just the truth. I resent having to carry the burden of the family to where I even become def- defensive sometimes. Jennifer will say something, not meaning this negatively at all, like if you made another $1,000 or something, which was a very innocent statement. You know, just simply if you had that $1,000, then we could do this. 
And I catch myself not having been self-controlled going, you know, I make pretty good money. It's not easy to, and, and Jesus has done good for us, you know. Well, did she, did she, did we find that there was some fear in Eric that, that provoked a statement? You know, that's because my sinful nature resents that burden of having to provide for everybody. You ever hear a husband say something like, well, I wish I could just stay home all day like my wife. And the wife says, yeah, if he had to stay home all day, he'd never do it. And you're right. He wasn't built for it. It's not his role. Be, be totally, you know, I cannot do what Jennifer does, although it seems appealing to me. You know, there are times it seems, like, oh, man, that would be easy if she had to do what I... We weren't built for that. That's like the thumb trying to do what the pinky does. They don't work that way. We need to learn to accept our station in life, rejoice in it, find freedom in it, and see it as liberating, not as bondage. Submission brings power. James 4, 7 and Peter 5, 9 both speak of resisting the devil, which is what we think of as spiritual warfare. But in both cases, the emphasis was on controlling self so that you can resist. Get this because we're going to close here quickly. Step one in spiritual warfare is under all circumstances, barring not one instance. In every case, you must put your flesh down. You have to control self. I'm not somebody who tears flow easily from. For a lot of my life, I really hardened my heart so that that would not be the case. I remember standing with clenched fists, talking to my father and said, you'll never see me cry again in my life. I was eight years old. I worked at hardening myself. In the kingdom, that was a detriment. I worked at softening my heart over And over and over. Because of that, though, because of that natural inclination to not have a burst of emotion, it was very difficult for me to understand the weaker vessel in my life who would just break down, lose it, and cry. And what she had intended to cause sympathy in me for brought instead disgust. It it repulsed me. I've had to learn to be considerate of my wife, who's the weaker vessel, and she's had to learn to control her emotions. In other words, not to try to manipulate me with emotional outbreaks. Do y'all, is that totally foreign to y'all? Or do y'all, see, in the absence of being able to fight with your husband, you know, see, the same helplessness that he feels, he can't control your behavior and he's responsible for it, I know you feel. I can't make him do anything, you know. And it's not that y'all are fighting literally, but even if you did, you know, probably something's wrong if you whip your husband, by the way. Okay. Unless he wants to be whipped. But so what you tend to resort to is other kinds of manipulation. You know what the most common, if you talk to any pastor that counsels about divorce, the most common one is? It's sexual. The one weapon the wife has is, well, I will withhold you know, and I know God built me to last longer than he built you for. When you talk to husbands and wives that have been angry with one another for a long time, the first thing when the guy's honest that comes out of his mouth is, man, she's as cold as this table. The first thing that comes out of the wife's mouth is, he hurt me. You learn to, your selfish desires learn to manipulate your spouse in a variety of ways through on the wife's part, it tends to be through verbal persistence, which is a nice way to say just nagging. 
It tends to be through withholding affection, those things. Here's, here's classic husbands. Silent treatment. Just refuse to engage the wife. You know she needs meaningful conversation. She talks through problems. <laughs> I ain't talking to her. You know? She's totally shutting down. Going fishing. Going to the deer stand. You know, that's, that's how guys tend to do that. Shirking the responsibility as leading the house and instead just refusing any leadership, refusing any interaction. You withdraw. These are coping mechanisms that come from the flesh. But here's the thing that is important to note. They destroy your ability to do warfare. They absolutely render you helpless before the enemy. The Bible says don't let Satan have a toehold. When husbands and wives do not have harmony together, and we need to go ahead and extend this to kids too, you have allowed the devil not a toehold, but a chokehold on you. He will try to destroy your marriage because that destroys you. How many spirit-filled Christians do you know that are thriving in ministry and doing great that had a divorce in the kingdom? You don't see that very often. And it's not because God throws them away. It's because it leaves you so wounded that you can't do the things that you should do for the king. The devil's desire is to create in you a handicap that you can't get beyond. One of the guys that I know that had the most prophetic ministry I've ever seen anointed for it in a way that I've just never seen anybody move in, had such a handicapping relationship with his wife because they could not get along and they fought. And I I truthfully don't know him well enough to have any idea who was at fault. They're both at fault. And that's really the way you need to look at every situation. Like they were both at fault. I don't even think he's serving God today. I tell you, the prophetic gifting in his life was stronger than buzzes, stronger than mine, stronger than anybody that I had ever seen. I did notice that through the years it picked up more and more error. And it's because his home life was not right. You know where I noticed his home life wasn't right first? His kids. See, everything I'm saying about husbands and wives is true about children too. You find a child that directs their parents, you found a home that God cannot bless. You find children that are disobedient and disrespectful to everyone and the parents are not controlling them, you not only find a home that God can't bless, that he will curse. Study Eli's life. Study the great men of God in the Bible, people like uh, Gideon, people like Jephthah, Barak, all of these, these men that are in the Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame. They had hellions for children. Why do you think that happened? The devil attacked the home where ministry flows from. So at best they affected one generation and then it stopped there. I will do whatever it takes to train my children in righteousness. I will do whatever it takes to lead my wife in a godly manner. She will do whatever it takes to be a voice of faith, an encouragement, a helpmate in our joint calling, and submissive, even though it's a dirty word. Realizing that if she submits to me and I'm wrong, I'm responsible for it, not her. I will do everything that it takes to submit to God so that, and here's the kicker, so that I can resist the devil and he'll flee. But if you are not doing the other things, do not think he'll flee. He is laughing at you. He's controlling you like a puppet on a string. 1 Timothy 3, and we're not going to read this tonight. I'll pick up on this next week. Or not next week, but Sunday. The first step was warfare. Spiritual warfare is to put down the flesh. The second step is to realize that your home life is the platform for warfare and ministry. You know, when you go into Iraq, they took over the airport and they established it as a base. And from there, they did every 
um, incursion into the enemy's lines. Your home has got to be the base that is safe for you, that is your sanctuary, that is ministry oriented where peace dwells and encouragement abounds. And there is loving submissiveness on both parties so that you can take the fight to the enemy and then retreat back to your home. Then take the fight to the enemy and then retreat back to the home. The husband or wife will never make it out fighting the battle on two fronts. Out against the world and then at home. Out again, it'll wear you out every time. It'll take you to a place of brokenness where you're ineffective in ministry. Because you, everybody has always said the goal of our country's military is to be able to fight a battle in two hemispheres. Because nobody's ever been able to effectively do that and maintain it. That's the goal of the strongest. I'm telling you in Christianity, it cannot occur. You are not capable of fighting a battle in two hemispheres. You cannot be fighting at home and fighting the enemy. There has got to be peace with one or the other. And you get to decide where you want that to be. But you can make peace with the enemy and go ahead and have a war at at home. Or you can make peace at home and take the war to the enemy, which is what we choose. Y'all read 1 Timothy and write these down or, I don't know, listen to them, think about them. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 16. That gives you the qualifications for ministry leaders. And you know what it says? Be self-controlled. You know what else it says? That you are not fit to run God's household if you can't run your own. When In 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 16, Titus 1, 5 through 9, also Titus 2, 1 through 8, you see the same theme over and over and over. When you're looking for ministry leaders, choose people who run their homes well. That's because your home is the basis for all ministry, all spiritual warfare, all attack on the enemy. And if the home life's not right, you, you cannot be effective out there. Now, you could come under a huge condemnation and burden and say, well, my home life's not right. Nobody's as perfect. I'm not suggesting that... You live like, you know, the Cleavers. You know, I mean, as a TV show. I'm not suggesting that at all. There should be healthy disagreements. That's how God shows who he favors. But you know the difference between that and the kind of bitter sleepless nights, the kind of, you know, anxiety that comes over you, that keeps you, makes you cloudy thinking you can't even pray. We're going to turn to Galatians 5. I'm going to read that and we're going to quit. Uh, and then I'll tell you about what part two is going to be about. And I'll be happy to get out of the home in part two, I'm sure. Y'all in Galatians? I'm not. <laughs> Y'all understand that when I'm talking about being an example and all of those things, I don't by any stretch of the imagination think Jennifer and I have all this worked out perfectly. Y'all, y'all know that, don't you? But I can say that we are making progress, that we understand it more and more every year, and that we are facing greater challenges and succeeding. It's not to say that any of you aren't. That's not to say that at all. We need to join together and be like-minded in all of these things. It's not any fairer to compare me to Matthew than it is Jennifer to Jennifer. We're all different, we're all unique, and you were intended to be so. Basically, we're all two halves of one person, but the thing is, we're all different people. Your marriage should be as unique as you are, and yet these same principles have to flow through it. Number one, that you die to self and submit to one another out of love. 
I mean, that has got to be key. Otherwise, nothing else works. That's the foundation for your marriage. In Galatians 5, starting in verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, were not called... I'm sorry. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You know, there are countries where women are not allowed to speak in public. There were time periods, even in biblical history, where women were thought of as property. In our society and in Christianity, women are free. Don't use your freedom to sin. Because you're not oppressed, don't be rebellious. Do you understand? Husbands, because you are free to treat your wife any way you want to in our society, and it's acceptable, you can call her a ball and chain, you can... Abuse her, go run around on her, do all of those things, and the guys at work don't think a thing about it. Don't use your freedom to sin. There is a master that we will all stand before. And at the end of the day, we are co-heirs of salvation. The same way that somebody may have been your pastor, and it didn't make them greater than you. It just meant they had a different role that you needed to submit to. But you were both fellow workers in the kingdom. Same is true in a household. One's the head, the other's a co-worker, but you're both equals in the kingdom. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If that's true of your neighbor, how much more should it be of your wife, who's your own body? If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, if the harshest words you spoke this week were to your spouse, then don't think that's talking about somebody else. You know, biting and devouring one another. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Really, what are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, wow, jealousy, fits of rage, never been guilty of that, (laughs) selfish ambition, dissensions. You know what a dissension is? Dissensions when you refuse to submit to authority. You're right and you're going to stand on it. Factions. What's a faction? Factions when Matt and I are together in, uh, in ministry, right? We're covenanted together. But I disagree with him. So I run over and I say, hey, Cass, Matt says this, but I say this. Don't you agree with me? And we form a faction against my partner. Factions are when you get other people to agree with you for the purpose of being stronger. Factions are when you say, you know, I think... and I talk to a lot of other people who also think that's forming factions. It's fracturing the body of Christ. Faction, fracturing. Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Think about that. 
peace. You want to know if somebody's got the Holy Spirit in them? If a home has the Holy Spirit dwelling in it, is it peaceful? Patience. Wow. She won't submit. Yeah, well, you need more of the Spirit. Be patient. Kindness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become, get this, conceited, provoking and envying each other. Don't provoke your spouses. Don't become conceited and act like we don't have a God to account to. If we are going to be effective in spiritual warfare, you have got to stay in step with the Spirit. How many of you know if you pray and it's out of the will of God, it doesn't happen? Well, if you're out of the step of the Spirit, how can you do battle? How can you speak the words of God? How can you use God's Word if you're not even in the same arena with Him? We, need, we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit, not the sinful nature. That starts with the putting down of self. That's where all of our sin occurs. We pretty well covered that your home is the foundation for warfare. I think I've probably driven that point in. So on Sunday, we're going to move beyond the home, and we're going to look at the next step, which is basically warfare is not against the people that you see around you, though that's who opposes you. It is against spiritual principalities, dark spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Some readings would be Luke 18. That's the persistence in prayer scripture. 2 Kings 3. If you don't know what that is, you should find that. That will be a big text tomorrow. There's a lot to learn in 2 Kings 3. It's about Elisha and a king who kills his son. Daniel 10. Remember, this is the angels. And they are opposing one another. Michael, the prince who watches over God's people, an angel that came to Daniel, and the prince of Persia and Grecia that stood against him. We're going to learn what goes on outside of your home and beyond what your eye can see, why it's important that you have to be right in your home so that when you're speaking to these other principalities that work by certain rules, it's effective. There's some other things that we'll look at along those lines, but we'll move from the basis or the foundation for spiritual warfare into the carrying out of spiritual warfare. That's naturally what's more interesting. But it doesn't matter if you don't do the first part. And Mandy, if you're bored because you, it doesn't apply, it does and it will. It, it really will. The same kind of problems that you have with a spouse, you have with coworkers. If you don't have them with coworkers, you have them with a boss. Jesus will make sure that there are authorities in your life that you have a hard time respecting. He will make sure that there are people that you can manipulate that you're not allowed to. You know, I had a boss named Regesterman Ferris that was the biggest pansy I ever worked for. And he was, the worst part was he was incompetent. And I could get him to do whatever I wanted to do. But that was not God's will for me. I needed to learn to submit to him even though I could control him. See, that desire to be in control, that's self. That self scared that if you're not in control, it's not going to go your way. And we don't like to admit to that, and it's in us. Put that desire down so that we can take up the life of Jesus. And you know what? Then we know that when we pray, the angels are moving. They're not scratching their head going, wait a minute. A few minutes ago, I saw. 
I've gotten to the point now, because I pray all the time. You know, I pray in the shower, I pray in the toilet, you know. Sometimes I can't sleep at night, and I may not be all the way properly, like, you know, clothed, like suit and tie kind of clothed. Might even be the... And I'll be praying, and I've become conscious that there are angels in here. I better go put on... <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just kind of awkward. You know, we need to. The Bible even speaks about a woman's hair, speaks about a man and how he acts. It says, hey, man, do this for the sake of the angels, the elect angels that are in your presence. What a confusing message it must be for an angel to be fighting for 21 days to get you an answer to prayer, to get you some result that God sent him with, and he sees you acting in some ungodly, despicable way. You know, how confusing that must be. Yeah, I wonder if they ever take off and go back and say, are you sure? Because the same guy that you told me to bring the healing power to was just cursing his wife. You know, I mean, all right, well, that's real, isn't it? Y'all stand up, let's pray.